everyone. I'm Lynn Prowse-Bishop and welcome to the Virtual Business Show, What You Need to Know. The show covers topics of interest to virtual assistants as well as those in small business and people who may want to work as a VA or hire the services of one. In this and our next episode, we're going to be discussing how to get clients and I guess then more importantly, how to keep them. So we'll look at the things like how you can find clients, where potential clients might hang out, and then the sorts of things that you can do to hold on to them and to turn those existing clients into referrers. This is one of the most common questions from new VAs once they've started their practice is, how do you actually get clients? And countless surveys of the industry asking VAs what they'd like to hear presentations on really turn up the same responses. It is just a huge area, and understandably so, I guess. Without clients, you really don't have a business. Okay, you've decided to become a VA, you've followed all the guidelines, you've got your business name, stationery, done the legal compliance, you've got your business cards, websites, taken a Yellow Pages ad, listed yourself in a number of those online directories, so you've followed all those five tips from the last show. Why isn't the phone ringing? I think a mistake that we all make is the belief that once we've set ourselves up and taken ads, clients just know we're there and offers of work are going to come flooding in, but this is rarely reality. Why not? You know how good you are, right? You can do the job. Why don't they know? The fact is that there is just so much information out there that when a client is searching, they're going to come across lots and lots and lots of information and service providers all telling them the same thing. Pick me. I'm the best. I actually recently had a request for proposal come through the Australian Virtual Business Network site, which said at the beginning, I've been searching for what seems like a long time to find an Australian service that could recommend the services of an experienced virtual assistant. At last, I think I found what I'm looking for. Now, I know that there are other places that this client could have gone to, so why did it take him so long? I think primarily because potential clients aren't sure how to search properly, or they're so overwhelmed by the sheer volume of information that's out there that they either give up or they donkey vote. They go with the first site they pull up. So what does that actually mean for you? Well, it means that you can't rely solely on your online presence to get you clients. People are still human beings and they need face-to-face contact or at the very least, a warm voice on the end of the phone solving their problems for them. So how do we go about actually finding clients? Well, first up, know what your offering is. This entails knowing what your service specialty is, your industry and your ideal client. Don't spread yourself too thin. There's a tendency for many VAs to want to be, as I mentioned in the last show, all things to all people. And unfortunately, that just doesn't work. You burn out very fast. So here's the N word again. Think about niching. Determine where your strengths are. Market your strengths to the people who could use them and benefit from them. As I mentioned in the last show, that's going to require researching. Sit down. Write down what your strengths are, what you like to do, who your ideal client is, what industry they're in. Now again, you're trying to set yourself up as that one in a million, not one of a million. You want to be regarded as a specialist. Think then about your ideal client. Are they male, female? Where are they located? Their demographic, their industry. All this is going to help you then know where it is they hang out. The second thing you can do is actually ask for work from those you know. 
Don't be frightened to do that. You go to your ex-bosses, colleagues, let them know what you're doing, ask friends, ask family. And as I mentioned before in my last show, I did that a few times when things got a little bit tight and slow in my business and it always led to some really good referrals. The third way of finding clients, respond to requests for proposal or RFPs and follow up. If you followed the tips in the last show, you've now joined a few networks and you've probably seen some RFPs come in. When they come in within your specialty, respond to them. And when you respond, don't send off your response and then wait for them to contact you with an offer of work. You must follow up. If you don't hear back within three days, send another gentle reminder email. Email, as we know, can get caught in spam filters, so you need to ensure yours made it through. If still nothing, follow up in a week. I then generally leave it another two weeks and then I follow up for a third time. Generally speaking, if they've not responded after three follow-ups, they're probably unlikely to. That being said, I've also secured two clients in precisely this way with their response being, you were the only person who kept on me. That's precisely what I need. I had a boss once who said to me, the squeaky hinge gets the oil. But remember that there's a fine line between that and desperation. You need to keep your communications professional. I'm just touching base again to see if I can answer any further questions you may have or clarify anything further with you. That kind of thing. You can't make a client sign you. But you can ensure that they know you're keen, confident and available to assist them. Also, don't overlook your email signature block. Be sure that you include your contact details, including your URL, so that potential clients know where to find you. They can keep your emails for months, sometimes years. I had a potential client contact me 18 months after I sent a response to an RFP to see if I was still interested, still doing the same work and still charging the same rate. Also, ensure that you've not only a contact form on your website, but also a phone number and an email address. Not everyone likes to fill in forms. Be sure that these details are prominent on your homepage and again, if you can, on each of your pages, perhaps in the footer. Make it easy for clients to find you. So the how to find clients is to know what your offering is. Don't be frightened to ask for work. Respond to requests for proposal that come in and make sure that you follow them up. And then use your email signature block to your advantage. So now let's have a quick look where to look for clients, where we can actually go to find them. And we can break this up into online and offline. Okay, if we look at online first, have a look at membership of online networks and forums. So these can be VA industry related or business networks. So we've got the Alliance for Virtual Business, VA Networking, the Australian Virtual Business Network, IAVA, UK VAN, AFRIVAN, there are tons and tons of VA industry related networks out there. If you Google virtual assistant network in your area, you'll find heaps. And join a few international ones too, as I mentioned in the last show. Again, I always recommend joining more than one network. You don't have to join them all, of course, but 99% of them are going to offer you a discussion forum and a listing in their directory, which is going to increase your web presence and again, potentially access to job leads. Again, the word of caution, do not ever rely solely on your network memberships to get you work. That is not their job. It is a benefit of membership, a bonus or a privilege, 
not a right. You still have to take responsibility for marketing yourself. I've actually written a blog post on joining networks. If you go to my blog, blog blog.execstress.com, you'll be able to see the article there, which is called On Joining Networks. Search for that, and that gives you some more ideas on on why I think it's such a good idea. There are also industry-specific forums and networking groups online. So this is going to include Ning groups or discussion forums that exist for your industry. If you go to ning.com, look for groups there in your industry specialty. Yuku.com, Y-U-K-U, is another. Google Groups is a third. There's a lawyers group at Ning that I know of. There's bound to be others. Medical professionals also have their own discussion forums and boards. Do a Google search for them. The idea here is to join these groups and kind of lurk. Listen to what's being discussed. Join in when you can, giving your expertise in areas of administration, billing, efficiency, or whatever it might be. You need to be seen and be seen to be helpful. And then, of course, there's social networking, which is a whole topic all on its own. But we've got LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, for example. These are the three main ones. In my opinion, if you don't have a Facebook business page, at the very least in this day and age, it's just like not having a yellow page as that in the 80s and 90s. Most people are going to be looking online now when they want something. More and more people are using Facebook, and they'll ask their contacts for recommendations. More and more businesses are on LinkedIn and they're setting up business and industry-specific groups there. It's a great place to ask and, more importantly, answer questions and become known as the go-to person for your industry and your area of expertise. So that looks at online. What about offline? Well, offline places to look for potential clients are going to be, say, business groups and clubs like Chambers of Commerce, Leeds Clubs, Women's Networking Groups, View Club, Many of us have a fear of speaking to strangers, but you really need to get over that if you want to gain clients. And this means getting out and attending networking events, training sessions, and meetings put on by these groups. No one's going to know you're around and what you can do for them unless you get out there and tell them. However, don't use these events purely as opportunities to promote yourself. You need to go to a few of the meetings and events offered by the club or group to become known within the group as a bit of a regular. Get involved. Once people know what you do and know you're interested in participating in the group, not just being that business card shark I mentioned before, they're more likely to use your services or refer you because they get to know and like you. Remember that people do business with people they know, like and trust. How do they get to know, like and trust you if you're never around or if you give the impression that you're only attending functions for what you can get out of them? A networking mistake many people make is to take that attitude that they must leave a networking function with one solid gold lead and two good potentials. You know, honestly, my advice is just get to know people and what they do and you really can't go wrong. These groups also offer you other opportunities for business marketing. So, for example, you could see if you can advertise in their newsletter or offer to produce the newsletter for them with a little note on the bottom saying designed by. You could also see if they offer inclusion on their website and put their logo on yours for cross-promotional purposes and to increase your credibility. You could also ask them if you can be involved in the updating of their site, if this is something that you're good at, or to help them with their membership databases, mail-outs, and that sort of thing. Getting involved in this way is the perfect way to highlight what you can do. And remember that office bearers of these clubs also have full-time jobs elsewhere, and they're often doing chamber work in their spare time, so they're grateful for the help. 
I actually helped my local chamber in this way in exchange for free membership. So whilst I wasn't actually paid for the work I did for them, I was a member with advertising on their site and people got to know me that way. See if they'd let you do a short presentation on the industry, not on your business specifically. That's very important. But if you do a presentation on the industry, you can highlight what VAs can do for their members and then, of course, they know you, so they're going to come to you. Another offline opportunity is volunteer type work. So for example, your local community guild, residence association, your kids' school or sporting clubs or your church. At these places you can offer to do newsletters, keep databases, arrange fundraising drives, all those sorts of things. Naturally they won't be paid, but again, do so in exchange for including your business details somewhere in the materials. And finally there are what are called meetups. These are groups near you that have been organised by people to bring like-minded individuals together around a topic of interest or an industry. It could be a hobby that you have an interest in, or it could be a business meetup. If you actually go to meetup.com, you can search for an industry, a topic, or your area, and whilst they're coordinated online, they actually do physically meet face-to-face. So that covers the how to find clients and where to find them. Before we move on to keeping clients, just a quick word about rates. Sometimes new business owners get a little bit nervous about their rate and want to know whether they should change their rate, drop it or negotiate it because a client seems a bit reluctant to pay what you charge. Or they they want to become competitive or just get the job so they're willing to drop their price. A lot of new VAs in particular are worried that they're going to lose clients or miss out on securing a client because that client is after a cheaper option. Well, in my opinion, if they want cheap, then you need to ask yourself, are they really the client for you? If a client comments that your rate's a bit expensive and you respond with, I can discount it for you or tell me what you'd like to pay and I'll see if I can do it, you really do do yourself and the rest of the industry a disservice and you set a precedent with all future client contacts. Don't go for cheap. Show clients the value that you bring. They buy using their buying patterns and their criteria, so you're not going to change that. If they want you to drop your price, you can politely say that you've set your rates based on your skill, level of experience and qualifications, and that with all due respect, this is your rate. If they require a cheaper service, then you'd be happy to find one for them. A client should never set your rate and you should never negotiate. There's one proviso here, though. If you're looking at charging on a project basis, for example, you might be able to ask the client what their budget is for the project and then determine yourself whether you're willing to fit into that budget, whether you can actually do the work for the amount and go from there. But hourly rates are set by you and no one else, just like a plumber, mechanic or doctor. Set them, stick to them. Setting your rate too low can give the impression to a prospective client that you don't value your own services, so why should they? Similarly, when you look like a cheap operation, you will attract that type of client to you, the ones who just don't want to spend too much. Okay, so we've covered the how and where to find clients, but what about getting them to commit? We'll cover that in our next show. I'm Lynn Prowse-Bishop, and this has been The Virtual Business Show. If you have any comments to make on today's episode, please feel free to do so by visiting execstress.com and follow the links to our show comments form. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.